Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it so much. We know that uh, we're probably the least qualified to be sharing on a, on a topic like this. We have a whole almost five years experience together being married, but we're thankful for your support. All we're going to try to do uh, today and tomorrow is share uh, basic things that have happened to us that we've learned, that we've been successful at or that we failed in or that we're trying to, to conquer. Uh, from our experiences or that we've seen in the lives of, of others. We have, uh, whether they're mentors or friends, and we just want to share that with you. It's not by any means uh, something that, uh, that is a prescription um, as much as it is just uh, suggestions, okay? So we do have uh, some handouts that are way in the back. If you want to get some, if you haven't gotten one yet, you can get them there. And uh, I know Dr. Mills, if you stayed for all three of his seminars, he's, he uh, gave you guys a book. We wanted to do something similar, so we'll give you guys a hug. All right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, why don't we bow our heads for prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you understand what family is all about. And we're thankful that out of all the people in the world, you exemplify to us what a family is. You've given to us churches, you've given to us our own families, and you've allowed us, Lord, to call you Father, which allows us to understand that we are part of a heavenly family. Please be with us now as we seek to understand uh, basic foundational principles on how to have an effective Adventist home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, society is composed of society is composed of social groups, and the most basic out of the social groups, out of all social groups, is the family unit. Isn't that right? The family unit is the most basic, and I'm going to draw a little circle here. This is a family unit, and it is the most basic of all social groups. In our family, there's four of us. That's me, this is my wife, that's my first son, and that's my second son, okay? The most basic of all family units. This is the reason why families are important. Although we are one family of four, what happens is that I, for example, I work. So I'm part of another social group, which is my work. My wife, she's a stay-at-home mom, so she works too. But let's, for the sake of this illustration, she's a part of another social group, which I am too. But this group is called the church. My kids are going to grow up one day. One of my kids is going to go to school. The other kid is going to go to school. And so they're going to be part of two different social groups. Let's say one goes to school in California. The other one goes to school in New York. So this central unit, at one point or another, in one time or another, is going to be divided up. Right? They're going to be part of other social units. What this means is this, that whatever happens here in the home locally has the possibility of impacting the world around us. This is why the family unit, even though it is a basic unit, the most basic of all social units, it is the most important unit. Let's say in order to have a family, you need two people, right? Two, the heads of the home, the, the, the mom and the dad, the wife and the husband. Let's say that in our home, in our home, my wife and I, we go to church, and my kids see, our kids see, that whenever we go to church, the primary reason for us going to church is for us to, vi to visit with our friends. They see that. We go to church, we're visiting with our friends, hi, how are you doing? We're gossiping, we hate the church, we're always complaining about the pastor, how he preaches boring sermons, how he doesn't visit us enough, etc., etc., etc. My kids listen to that. What happens is when one of them goes to New York, when one of them goes to California, we've automatically trained them, programmed them to be critical of authority or of leadership. They take that to the church in California, they take that to the church in New York, and what happens then if, God forbid, one of them enters into some type of church leadership, they infect the entire board, and what happens, the entire church 
is impacted. But guess what? This social group, the church in New York, is going to be part of a, a, a group of people that will also be scattered all over the place. When people change jobs, when people get moved to other places for other reasons, they're going to be moved all over the world. And the influence of my son that he received while he was a little boy in some upper peninsula small country is going to have a global impact. No wonder, no wonder Satan does all in his power to destroy the family unit. And so what we want to focus on today is three basic components of a spiritual home. The three foundational principles that we came up with that are necessary, that are essential for us to understand in establishing a strong foundation for a spiritual home. And there are three basic principles. The, pr the first principle is every home has a ministry. We're going to look at what is a ministry, what does it mean to have a ministry, and what does the ministry do? Who does the ministry impact? Every home has a husband. And we're going to look at what the husband does, what the husband ought to do, what the husband ought not to do, and who the husband should be as a person. We're going to do the same for the wife. We're going to look at those three things. The husband, the wife, and also the ministry of the home. All right. I'm going to be talking about the ministry of the home. Um, but before, the, before we do that, I just wanted to share a, kind of like a... Um, side note, and I, that is that I really believe that God gave or created the structure of the home with the parents and the children um, and that family unit to really give us like an enhanced understanding of the gospel. And I really believe that it is our duty once we are in that marriage relationship or have children um, that we s search and seek for those those enhanced um, understandings that he's trying to give to us. I feel like he is desperately trying to share that with us. An example I can think of right off the top of my head is um, one of our, our, our friends, Dr. Chung. I don't know, you, you've probably heard of him. He's a dermatologist, and he's spoken at GYC before. But he shared with us one thing that, that really hit us because we have children. He said, you know what? Children will never outlove their parents. Children can never outlove their parents. And he said... And because of that, God, we understand, too, that we can never outlove God. And that was so deep to us because, you know, with our children, we realize that ever since they're a newborn, we think to ourselves, man, we love this child so much, and he doesn't even know. He's not even going to remember. You know, and sometimes it brings tears to my eyes. I think he's not going to know all this stuff that I've done for him, and you mothers know what I'm talking about. Um, but those things, you know, when we really contemplate what God is trying to teach us through our marriage and through children, it really enhances and develops our relationship with God in such a strong way. Um, but, so the ministry of the home. We'll move on. The first thing I want to talk about is um, the first component. We divided it into two components. The first component, component is ensuring the salvation of its members. Okay? Um, and the second one is the unique opportunities which it brings to share Adventism with others. So the first thing we have to understand is God created our families. He sent people into your lives, your spouse, your children, because he wants you to ensure their salvation. You're there to help each other make it to the kingdom. Um, and he, so he brings different personalities together. Um, I remember when, when Israel and I first got together, it's so interesting because usually, usually when couples get together, you know, they're so kind and nice and, you know, they're always trying to impress the other person. But for us, immediately, it was kind of like, we <laughs> don't look at me like that. <laughs> we, sorry. We, we kind of did a lot of jabbing. Like, we kind of, who could make, the, like, the wittier remark? And we kind of had these little competitions, like, I'm smarter than you, and I could beat you in basketball, or whatever it was, you know? But as the 
as time goes on, little by little, you know, that common courtesy, kind of that, that thing that's holding you back from really letting loose and like showing your true self, it starts to disappear, you know, like the winds of strife kind of slowly <laughs> let go. And you, you, you start getting a little bit mean about it, you know? Like it, and then it really becomes about, you know what? I do way more cleaning, I do more chores than you. Like, I'm a, such a harder worker than you, or I make more money than you, and I have these rights and that rights. And the reason why that happens, I, we believe, is the foundation is not established that in the home, it, it, what should be in the forefront of our minds is that God gave each other to us to help us be saved, not to point out errors, not to be critical, and not to put people down. Um, so the points are, we are not in competition. Okay. Sometimes we can get into these competitive things, um, you know, like I, like I mentioned before. And the other thing is, it's not about equality. It's not about you give this much and I give this much. Um, it's about helping each other. So a practical example would look like this. If we talk about cleaning the home, um, I'm really obsessed with cleaning the home. <laughs> and um, I like, you know, every Sabbath, I want it to be perfectly clean, everything done. And so he has his couple things that he's supposed to do, and I have my big old list. And <laughs> no, because he has other duties. <laughs> but but that, I mean, we, we, that's how we divide it up. We kind of felt like, this is fair, right? I'll do this much, and you do this much. Um, and so when I'm all done with my stuff, a lot of times I'm really tired, and I'm tempted to think, like, I'm just going to see. I can't believe he didn't. Israel still didn't do this. The bathrooms are still a mess. All these things. And I just I start stewing inside, like, oh, He's so not efficient. Or I start thinking of all these different things. When in reality, if I understand, hey, we're, not, we're here to help each other, I should still do his chores. Because in my mind, the, the goal is the same. The common goal is the same. We want the house clean for the Sabbath. So understanding it's not about equality, but it's just about practicing Christianity in the home. Um, and most importantly, you know, sometimes we feel like we, our spouses belong to us. But if we understand that God, you know, the, the, our spouse belongs to God, you know, ultimately. And so Israel is the child of a king. You know, even if we think about it, if we spent time with, like, the child of a diplomat, how would we treat them, you know? We'd be so fearful of, you know, we, don't, we want to be on their good side, don't say anything negative, you know? But if we remember that um, our spouse is a child of a king and, you know, we do not have free reign. We cannot act however we want to because there are holy angels who are recording everything. You know, sometimes when you think about that, it's, it's not a reality, but it really is. That every thought, even, you know, every action, everything that we say is being recorded in heaven. And it's, that's the truth. Um, so if we keep that in mind, you know, we will definitely have a deeper sensitivity and um, a love and respect for our spouse. Now, the second thing, we, that was salvation for, for our members, so keeping that in mind. The second thing is evangelism. Now, we're not talking about personal evangelism here because everyone should be involved in personal evangelism. So when Israel goes off to work or I go shopping or whatever, I should always be looking for opportunities to evangelize, right? But we're talking about here the, unique, the uniqueness of the ministry of the home as a unit, how you can impact others. Now, um, the most important way we feel is the actual atmosphere of the home. And, El and, and Ellen White talks about this a lot in Adventist Home. The atmosphere of your home, when you invite people into your home, when they see the interactions between husband and wife or between you and your children, you know, whether they realize it or not, it's actually impacting them. It's really interesting because a couple weeks ago, um, we were visiting our friend J Justin and Stephanie in Lansing. And they're not married, yeah. Justin Kim and Stephanie Quick, I don't know, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, 
But um, yeah, they'd kill us if we, we started this rumor. Um, but Israel and I were kind of having a disagreement about something, and it wasn't really getting that heated, you know? We're just kind of like, and we, a lot of times we see things differently from different perspectives. And we noticed that all of a sudden our friends kind of got quiet, you know? It's kind of like tense. You're like, oh no, we just ruined this, the whole atmosphere. And then Israel kind of jokingly goes to Justin like, hey, you guys need to pray for our marriage, you know, to try to lessen it. And Justin actually said something that shocked us. He actually said, you know, if, when you guys disagree, like, about your socks, I start praying for you guys, you know? And that kind of touched me. I'm like, that is so sweet. But I realized the impact just of that tiny, you know, I didn't really think it was anything that deep, but it was impacting other people. It affects the atmosphere. Now, if people come into your home, let's say, you know, non-believers or, or friends who are whoever they are, you know, and they see that your house is full of love and compassion and it's re relaxing, they, they get a glimpse. They get a small glimpse of what heaven will be like, that peace that they will not find in the world. So just the way you interact with people is a very strong testimony. And, um, you know, once you have that, that strong atmosphere and you, 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 you continue to invite people, use your home as a ministry, that can really um, impact how people relate with their own spouses and even how they raise, you want to raise their children or, you know, it could go positive or negative. Um, and so I just wanted to share another example too, just when it, a personal experience. You know, before we had kids, we didn't really um, know much about kids. <laughs> so we were like so nervous. So we're like reading every single book on parenting. And we're so thankful that we had our friends, Daniel and Carrie Mendez. They, they um, had their child nine months before us. And so whatever she was reading, I got a hold of. Because who she is, if you know her, she's the sweetest, like meekest, calmest <laughs> woman ever. And I was like, I want to be, you know, and you read um, Child Guidance, and she always talks about how you should never raise your voice. I'm like, I do that all the time, you know? And all these things, and immediately, whether she wanted, you know, she never, I never really asked her, but I was drawn to her and I said, you know, I want to learn from her. I just want to be around her. Um, and as she interact with her child, um, and he was so well behaved too, you know, I was like, man, I just want to spend time with them. And believe it or not, when I would have interactions with my son, with Emmanuel, many times, you know, he would say something and I would think about what would, what would Carrie say? <laughs> How would she respond, you know? And I truly believe that God put her in my life to make me a better mother, you know? So with, between your friends, it's really important to have godly friends, too, that you can, you can help each other. And as you continue, it's a great witness, a form of evangelism with the non-Avenists or the non-believers who you interact with. Your family can be uh, a witness. By the way, when does our time end? 445, okay. I want to talk a little bit about um, the role of the husband as the head of the home. Most of, by the way, most of our thoughts are taken from the book Adventist Home. Um, <clears throat> so most of our references would be taken from, from, uh, from that book. What does it mean to be the head of the home? Um, you know, we're, we're no longer living in a culture usually where men or women have this whole machismo type of approach. Right? Most people don't look, you know, we look down upon that usually. But always a question in the back of the mind of, a, of every individual, man or woman, is the question of what does it mean to be the head of the home? And I want to just draw a little bit of, of I want to talk a little bit about that right now. First of all, the safest definition that we can come up with as to what it means to be the head of the home is to be the head of the home means to imitate God as he relates to the church. That's the safest definition, isn't that right? 
we imitate God the way he relates to the church, that's how we relate to our home. So that's what it means to be the head of the home. I want to read to you, um, I want to read to you a couple of things here from, from, the, from the book, Adventist Home, page 215. It is no evidence of manliness in the husband for him to dwell constantly upon his position as head of the family. That's for us guys. We don't need to be thinking about this all the time. But then she goes down to the bottom of the chat, of the, at the bottom of the paragraph, and she tells us what it means. Let every husband who claims to love God carefully study the requirements of God in his position. First of all, what, it, what, what the responsibility is of a gentleman who is just getting married or who's, or who's developing their home is, number one, we are to study. Make it our responsibility. Make it our, make it our, uh, our, our, our desire to study exactly what God requires of us from that position. Secondly, it says here that God leads or his authority is exercised with three major components, wisdom, kindness, and gentleness. What does it mean to be a head of the home? How can I be a head of the home that is similar to what Jesus is? We are heads of homes in this, res in this respect by first of all being gentle, by being kind, and by being wise. Wisdom that only comes from above, right? Secondly, the Bible talks about God doing two, 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 uh, two main things. The Bible says that he, first of all, loved the church, and secondly, he gave himself for the church. The love. love what, the two components about love that I want to talk about today are... Uh, First of all, love and its role as a leader, and love in its in its in its roles uh, in its role of requirements. The Bible says when it teaches things about love, it teaches us that love has requirements, right? If you love me, the Bible says, keep my commandments. There's a requirement to the way in which we demonstrate love. Secondly, the Bible says that love from us to God is a response. We love God because he first loved us. In other words, love demonstrates, in this case, it demonstrates signs of leadership, and it also demonstrates the components of requirements in order for us to show that we actually love God. When we love our spouses, when we love our wives, when we uh, love our children, our family, what we ought to do is, first of all, show the love that we have for our families by exemplifying what we want our families to become. Exemplifying what we want our families to become. We are leaders by example. So we say, if I want my kids to be patient, then I show them, to, I show them how to be patient instead of telling them how to be patient. When I look at my wife and I say, Judy, there's all these, I have a big old list of things that you need to overcome in order to be a good spouse. What I do is I throw away the list and I say, Israel, why don't you exemplify that list for them to see? That's what it means to be the head of the home. To be the head of the home means to be the leader in showing our families what it means to follow the requirements that we want them to follow. Secondly, the Bible says that God gave himself for the church. And so this too, in the same way, we are to give ourselves for our families, to give ourselves for our wives. Uh, so many times it's easy for us as, uh, as guys to, uh, when we get married, to actually not get really married, but actually just get a new roommate, right? And uh, we live two separate lives. We still have our little Game Boys or whatever it is that we have now. We still have our television. Hey, I'm up to date, PlayStations. I want to sound a little bit, you know, so that you know I don't have one at home. Uh, so we have our little whatever things. We have our television. We have our own little things. You know, your television might be my whatever else, right? But we have our own little things, and we live lives that are separate from our families. But guys, those who are married, those of us who are married, and those of us who are not yet married, this is the principle that for me has been groundbreaking. When we give ourselves in marriage, it is not just the wife who is being given to the husband. The husband is being given also to the wife. The Bible says God gave himself for the church. This means that, simply put, 
the interests of the husband as the head of the home become, become secondary to the interests of the rest of his family members. There are many times where I come home after a long day's work and I'm thinking to myself, my interest right now is to sit down on the couch, read a book, lay down in bed, go to sleep. But I come in the home and I see my kids, their interest is we want to spend time with daddy. My wife's interest is that I clean the bathrooms and that I do the... <laughs> And immediately, my challenge is, my challenge is, will I put my interests first or will I put my wife's interests first? Our wives and our kids, they're not roommates. They're the people that we are to show and exemplify the love of Christ. That means in giving ourselves to our spouses and in giving ourselves to our families, we put our interests secondary. Um, there's another component that I want to talk about, which is how to help our wives. The first one is how to imitate God. The second one is how to help our spouses. Now... All of us, or I shouldn't say all of us, probably all of us who are between the ages of 25 to 35 and are married are probably under this category. The other guys that are a little older than that, they have this down already. But for us who are just getting into, into marriage uh, and we haven't learned our lesson, whenever our wife, we see that they need help, we have a very good list of how to help them. So I'll come home, my wife is having a challenge, and I think to myself, oh, Judy, I can solve that problem for you easily. Why don't you sit down? I'm a professional counselor because I'm a minister, so just take a seat. I'm going I'm to counsel you. All right, so let's talk about your problems. <laughs> you're tired out. You're tired out. You work a lot. Yes, let me teach you how you can in just five simple steps streamline your schedule so that you won't have me doing the bathrooms anymore. You can clean the bathrooms on top of this, right? So we have in our minds, we have in our minds ways in which we can help our spouses, ways in which we can help our spouses, but actually we make matters worse. We make matters worse. Uh, Adventist homepage 217, this is what it says. The husband should manifest, this is how we help our spouses. The husband should manifest great interest in his family. First of all, we help them by showing interest in them. Then it says that we are to, we are to especially be very tender with their feelings. The, the, the wife, the wife, whether she's at home or whether she's at work, they come, they come to the end of the day and they're burdened down and they're, they're, they're looking for tender support from the husbands. And she says, we ought to give it to them. We are not to think about ourselves, how we also need the tender interest and support. But it says, no, you give it to them. Be kind, be cheerful, be encouraging. And then she says, show acts of kindness and have encouraging words. Notice what it says here. It says, and these things will repay the effort tenfold. Tenfold. So this is why I don't clean the bathroom. I give so much encouragement to my spouse, and I'm so kind to her that it just overlooks the cleaning of the bathroom. Okay? Um, and it says, we should encourage her to lean upon our large affections and direct them to heaven. So what we are to do, the way in which we help our spouse, the way in which we as men help our wives, is by encouraging them to lean on our support. Many times we're, we're, we're naturally, as far as I know, and, and I have friends too that are guys, and I see the same thing in them. Some of you guys are here. But naturally our instinct is, listen, don't give me any extra burdens. I already have my own. But no, she says, listen, accept the burdens of your wife as your own and help them through them by getting to work with them. Okay? So these are the, 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 that's the other one, how to help our spouse. The thing is, the one thing you must do is found, Adventist homepage 213, 214, is one of the most powerful quotations that we'll read right now. It says, look at what it says, guys. Be, are, you, are you ready for this? It says, do all, how much? All, all in your power 
do all in your power to make the life of your wife pleasant and happy. Do all in your power to make the life of your wife pleasant and happy. Now, I, I don't want you to get the, I know, I know you're already getting the impression that I'm the ideal husband. I want to, I wanna, for a little bit, tell you I'm not ideal yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm a couple steps away. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I know that my wife's to-do list is larger than mine. Okay, I know that, she knows that, and everyone that knows us knows that. I made a commitment, and I'm, 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 very, I'm, very, uh, I'm very fortunate to have a God-fearing wife. I made a commitment because I realized that my wife has a bigger to-do list because I realized that in many ways her burden is bigger than mine. I realized that the least that I can do for my wife is to do everything in my power to make her happy. I made a commitment, she knows it, I made a commitment, all right, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm good at this commitment, but I continue to try to make this commitment, that if there is anything that she wants, if it is within my power, I will get it for her. And if it isn't within my power, my means, then I will continue to try until it is. And we do this not just as a way of appreciating our wives, but friends, young husbands, husbands-to-be, and I'm sure that all the older husbands agree with me, this is, in fact, the least that we can do. It should be our work to make the lives of our wives happy and cheerful. Oh, man, I'm taking too long. Okay, let me try to speed through this. Three things that we, that we do without knowing them that are bad, okay? There's three things that guys do that we do them without knowing them. And I've seen this from my grandpa, I don't know my great-grandpa, to my dad, to myself, to my kids, even though I don't have any wives, to all my friends who are not even married. These are just three bad things about guys that, that I feel are natural within us that are found also in this uh, Adventist home. Number one is, don't be peevish. You know, you go to work, you're tired, you're, everything that everyone does just gets on your nerves. Nothing that people do is right, and uh, you're never wrong, everyone else is right. It's just kind of a frustration that we as guys sometimes go through. She says, don't do that. Just don't be peevish. Choose to be happy. Choose to be made happy by the little things that people do. Sometimes you come home, your kid cannot find the right page to color, your wife's meal cannot be good enough, and everything is just not there. And she says, don't be like that, because then no one's going to want to be around you. Secondly, don't overwork your wife. This is actually what she says. Don't overwork your wife. How do we overwork our wives? We overwork them by neglecting to do the duties that, that we are asked to do, the two things that she said that I ought to do. And, uh, and we neglect them by not only not doing the things that we're not supposed to do, by, but by also adding on top of that. Justin talked about this morning, you know, you're a pastor, you're out there. Yeah, yeah, hey, why don't you guys all come over to our house? And then not only did I not clean the bathroom uh, for, for Sabbath cleaning, I also didn't cook. And so now she's got to cook and she's got to clean the bathroom before they come so it doesn't look dirty. So don't overwork your wife. And thirdly, don't be selfish. It is natural for us as guys usually, and I speak this in general terms, but it's natural, so, so natural for us to be just selfish guys. And, um, uh, and, and she says just don't be selfish. So those are the three things that I found. Um, on uh, the father's position, Adventist home, don't be peevish, don't overwork our spouses, and don't be selfish. All right, I'm going to be sharing um, the, th the third and last segment, which is important things for wives to understand. All right, the first part, things you should always do. 
The first one is to respect your husband. Now I think particularly for our generation, I really think it's, it's extremely hard to do this more so because we are so influenced by the feminist movement, um, whether we know it or not. Like I didn't really think I was a feminist, <laughs> but I was, you know, because once you read Adventist Home and you, or the, and the Bible and you, you read what it's supposed to be, like you realize like, man, you know, because you keep thinking like, I, I can do whatever he does. There's really no difference. I don't need him and all these, I don't need you to hold the door for me, <laughs> you know, all these things. But the only, the true, the, the, the only way we really can be happy and truly be happy, I believe, is um, as we respect our husbands. And that, that is um, a principle that's, that may seem easy when um, they're respectable, you know, when they're like doing all the right things and they're being kind to you and showing love and being your protector. Um, but much more difficult when, you know, disagreements arise or when there is conflict. Um, but this is the most important time to actually show that respect. We were driving once in the car and we got lost. And a flood of things just like, you know, start surging up like all these thoughts like, not again, this just happened last week, you know. And then you start thinking like, why didn't he just print out the MapQuest map you know, you know, and just have it there so we wouldn't get lost and not think he could do it himself. And you think, oh, he's so, and then you start thinking of all these character traits. He is so lazy. I can't believe he didn't do, and irresponsible. We're wasting gas right now driving around and, and then he didn't clean out the, you know, take out the trash, you know, and you know, all these things start, start escalating in your mind. And I remember looking at him. <laughs> I had to look over here so I don't. This, this, this is a parable. This is a parable. No, <laughs> no it did happen. Well, he was in the driver's seat. <laughs> but then, just seeing the look in his eyes, like it struck, like it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. That in conflict, that's when people are the most vulnerable. When they know they've done something wrong, or regardless of whether it was or not, any conflict. And I just kind of saw this look in his eyes, and I kind of saw he, he was kind of looking to see how I would respond, you know? And that's when I realized in conflict, that's when we need to be supporting each other the most, you know? And so, as a general rule, you know, just avoiding and preventing any embarrassment or put downs, you know, in the relationship, there is no, there should be no tolerance for that. You know, because God gave that person to us, and God called, particularly us wives, because I think we we're really quick at like coming up with stuff. You know, like the whole list of you know one thing goes wrong, and you think of twenty more. You know, all these comebacks. Um, or at least I do. I don't know if you do, but um, so just showing that respect to your husband, and it's a self control. It really is, and we need the Lord to do that. But we find that as we respect our husbands, it's amazing. You know, I didn't even say anything, even though in my mind I was seeing all these things, and Israel just apologized. You know, he's like, I'm really sorry about this. And of course, you know, I think to myself, man, what if I would have said all those billions of things? You think he would have apologized like that? No, it was conviction. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so as we show respect to our husbands as the head of the home, automatically in response, they show love and who they ought to be, and it's like a cycle. So don't even start the cycle. You know, and we'll be talking about the spiraling effect later on in another seminar. But when it, when conflict arises, don't even you know whatever's in your mind, don't even let it start because you know once it starts, it's going to come back. A lot of times we wives think we're you know we're like we play the role of the Holy Spirit. So if we say 
we should, you shouldn't have done that. We, we think they'll say, you are so right. Thank you. You know, praise the Lord for, you know, for you. It doesn't work that way. You know, guys are not like kids. They don't want to be told what to do. Now, the second thing is maintaining your individuality. Okay, after you get married, maintaining your individuality. Now, I'm going to read a quote here from Adventist Home, page 231. It's very powerful. Woman should fill the position which God originally designed for her as her husband's equal. We may safely say that the distinctive duties of, of woman are more sacred, more holy than those of man. Let woman realize the sacredness of her work and in the strength and fear of God take up her life mission. Her individuality cannot be merged in his. She should feel that she is her husband's equal to stand by his side, she faithful at her post of duty and he at his. A lot of times what what happens or what we fear will happen, you know, if, for those of us who are not married, we fear that once we get married, like a part, like a part of us dies, you know, or we kind of feel like we can never really fulfill what we always wanted to, you know what I mean? You kind of think that you have, and it is a giving, but God says each one of us individually belongs to God. There is no way you can give your life to somebody else. Our individuality must be maintained. God has a particular will for each person's life. You know, he has a will for your family, but each person's um, life. And it's important that we do not lose our identity, who we are, you know, our personality even. You know, I know some people, you know, they get married and it's like, like they just change. You know, it's like, who are you? You know, and, and every, it's, it's like they lose themselves, you know. And I think it's really important that we, we maintain even that personal relationship with God. We're in tune with what he wants us to do, separately from, from husbands. You know, a lot, a lot of times... Like, we have our family worship, and I know a lot of couples, you know, you do the together thing, but it's just as important to do your own thing first. You know, in the morning, you need to have that personal relationship so God will lead you throughout the day. He will lead him throughout the day. And then we have our family worship. We, he works through all of us that day, and then we're, we're successful because not only... Um, but basically what happens is when we're married, our lives are even more enhanced and more impactful than as they would be if we're separate. Do you understand what I mean? So it's not like two becoming one and that's our impact is one. It's two becoming even more because of us together, we're more powerful and a more powerful witness than being individual. And the last point here is a power stronger than death. And that is to choose to be happy. Now, choosing to be happy is, is just as difficult, I think, as choosing to love. Because it's the same concept, you know? You do not feel like being happy a lot of times. And sometimes, you know, believe it or not, for those of you who are not married, like, you will feel like you do not love your husband. I hate to break it to you, but sometimes you feel that. It's a struggle, and it's a mind struggle, and it's a faith struggle. But you can choose. You can always choose to do so. And there's a, there's a common saying. I don't know if Israel, Israel made it up. He thinks he made it up. But I don't know. You guys can be the judge. <laughs> or he thinks he had a dream or something. It's so funny. Anyway, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> and <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it really is so true to an extent because sometimes, you know, in the midst of a debate and we're just, you know, we'll just be crying and so, like, what's wrong with this? And Israel will just be like, I just want to make you happy, you know? And it's so hard to believe sometimes. It's like, that's really all you want? 
yes. And you know, I start thinking back, and it's true. All the times you get into conflict, usually it's something I get upset first, and then he gets upset because I'm upset. And like, why can't you just be happy? I'm trying to do things right. But it's really true that if the wife, and Ellen White talks about, I, I believe she's in her book, she talks about how the wife is like the sunshine of the home or the heartbeat of the home. And her, her influence really impacts the whole family. So it's true. If we as wives choose to be happy no matter what, even though we don't feel like it, um, we can influence our whole home. Because when the husband comes home from work, even though I had a horrible day, you know, the kids were acting out, whatever it was, I was really tired, all these, all these things happened. I hear the, the garage door open, Emmanuel gets really excited, I'm so exhausted, and I'm tempted to think, great, now I can give the kids off and I can go, go to Walmart, which is what I need to do, or whatever. Um, I say, I'm gonna, just gonna be, I'm gonna choose to be happy. He comes through the door exhausted, you know, comes from a board meeting, and I, I just, I'm happy. I, I tell him, I let him know, I'm so happy that you're home. We've missed you all day. Let's do something fun together. I have a dinner. You know, how do you think he'll feel? He'll feel happy. He'll, he'll feel glad to come home. Um, and that's what we want. We want to, our homes to be an environment where everybody is happy. Now, the three don'ts. The first don't for women is don't nag. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm like, re <laughs> I feel like I'm revealing all of my weaknesses to you guys. <laughs> but I know it's a struggle I have. But check out this, Ellen, or this Adventist Home quote, quote, 249. And it's kind of scary. <laughs> but it says, husbands and children who find nothing attractive at home, who are continually greeted by scolding and murmuring, seek comfort and amusement away from home. Now, that's enough to scare me to be happy and not nag. <laughs> you know? Because what we don't, and sometimes we feel like our, our lives are foolproof, like we can continue at it and, and it's not affecting the other person, you know? Sometimes we feel like we can act however because it lasted throughout our whole, well, the whole time we were dating or whatever. But th that's not true. Every single thing that we say is impacting the other person. Um, and so we don't want our children and our husbands to not want to come home because, you know, I don't want Israel to be afraid of coming home because he didn't clean the bathroom, you know, <laughs> or he didn't take out the trash and just him dreading like, oh, great, I know she's going to be mad at me because I told her I'd do this and I didn't. No, it shouldn't be like that. Um, so just don't nag. I think that's, <laughs> that's the safest. Find a way to communicate. I'm not saying ignore it and like suck it all in. Yeah, right. Like I couldn't do that. But finding a good way to communicate <laughs> and we talk about that. We're going to talk about a whole section on that in a later thing. The second one is, don't expect your husband to read your mind, okay? <laughs> now, I, because he can't, obviously, only God can, okay? <laughs> um, and this is something that it takes a while, too, because, you know, you, you kind of hint and you, you kind of are hoping in your mind that your husband is, like, going to do certain things or your boyfriend will do certain things. Um, but, and then they don't do it, and you kind of feel like, oh man, why didn't he do that? Or, you know, it, it just gives temptation for bitterness and nagging, okay? Um, if you want him to do something for you, like hold your hand, for example, or little things, if you want him to be more affectionate in public, if that's what you want, or to uh, not be as affectionate in public, if that's what you want, <laughs> or, um, or open the car door, 
you know? Especially women, we're so impacted, because sometimes I'll see like another couple, and I'll see a husband who's so, he'll run around the door and like open the door for her and like be so sweet. You kind of think, you kind of feel bad inside. You're kind of like, man, you know, like, <laughs> I was Israel, you know, whether you realize, whether you verbalize, see, I'm too proud, to, I wouldn't even admit that to him, you know, but you, you're impacted by that, you know? But if you want that, if that's in your mind, it does not hurt because, you know, to just say, hey, you know, would you open the door for me? I'm sure he would love to do it. Your husbands, they really want to do what will make you happy. I really believe if they're a good, godly, Christian, you know, well-meaning husband. Um, and we also like to play mind games kind of with ourselves. Women do. You know, for example, like, this is totally me. It's, it's like my birthday, okay? Or it's like some special occasion. And, like, maybe we just... Um, heard this really elaborate like engagement s story like um, like Luke and Audrey's story was like so touching the whitings you know maybe we just heard that and it was like he he went all out you know and then it's like our little birthday coming up and you're kind of hoping in your mind like man like you know he's planning something I know he is you know <laughs> and you start getting all these you know and it comes from even like movies or whatever it is you know you get these ideas in your mind like my husband's going to do this great big old thing for me you know and then when it, all it is is like a happy birthday card oh man i forgot to get you a gift or whatever it is you know you're so disappointed you're kind of like all your, you know your your little daydream like bubble like bursts and you're like what <laughs> you know Basically, don't have any expectations like that at the same time. You know, your husbands love you, and you should be happy enough just knowing the fact that he wants to be with you. He loves you. He loves your family. He's there to take care of you. You know, and all these extra expectations and these mind games that we put upon ourselves, it's not healthy. It really isn't. Um, and the last point is don't let yourself go, women. Okay? Now, Usually it doesn't happen like in the very beginning. When you first get married, you still, you know, you're still yourself. But particularly, I don't know, like after you have kids, you start kind of going downhill. And this, this whole thing was like inspired by my sister. Because my sister came to visit us in the UP. And in the UP, like, like our social life is going to Walmart. It really is. Like we have nothing where we are. We're way up north. And um, so my sister comes. And she's like, Judy, you. you you dress so frumpy. Like, is that, is that what you wear all the time? Or she's like, why don't you do your hair? Or something, you know. And I realized, you know, you, you kind of, the role of the wife and the mother, you, you tend to kind of lose that interest. You're, you're so worked up. And, you know, you, you mothers know, <laughs> you know. Or you just don't have time for anything. But I really feel like even for, you know, just having that dignity and being able to be an effective mother and wife, you need to care for yourself still. And I'm talking about physically, so, you know, the way we dress. And Ellen White has this whole section um, about being dr dressing nice, neat, attractively. And I'm not saying, like, provocatively, but nice. So she says when people look at you, they should be able to say, wow, look at that clean Christian woman, you know? Um, she has herself put together, you know? Um, how we carry ourselves even. Mentally, a lot of times after we get married or if we stop working or whatever, we stop reading, we stop educating ourselves. You know, our mind dies, you know? And I really feel like it's important for us women to continue on. Read, if, if all you can do is read, like for me, I started reading in the evening. And, I'm, and of course you read the Bible. And I, I for sure read the Bible, you know. But other books, just keeping your mind sharp, 
you know, um, or else your mind will die and you will not be able to be that help meet for your husband at times. He'll need, he'll need you um, socially, even letting yourself have time to go and do what you want or else you're constantly going to be longing for that and you, whether you realize it or not, it's going to start affecting who you are. And most importantly, spiritually, do not let yourself go. It's easy, you know, when for us we have young children, you wake up when the babies wake up, you know, you go to sleep when the babies go down, and it's like, where do you try to find your time for devotion? It's like in the middle of the day for 10 minutes here, and then, you know, something happens. Um, but just coveting that time with the Lord for yourself, because you need that. Um, so the point is, you know, we just all need to be, we always need to be witnesses for Jesus. Um, I think that's the best way in which we can even help our husbands and our families, is maintaining who we are. Um, and... That's all I have to say. <clears throat> we try to, as much as possible, uh, refer to the book Adventist Home. Yeah. It's, it's our favorite book on, uh, on, on having an Adventist home. And uh, we make it a point to read it through every year. Mm -hmm. And it's been every, every time we read it, we get something new. And it's very practical and very good, very effective for our family. So we encourage you to get that book as well. The bottom line is this, that the success of any family, first and foremost, is the success of the foundation that we set up. And a lot of these things are, they're not new things uh, that we've heard. You've heard them all your life as you were growing up. Little kids, you're not supposed to be in relationship centers, but you're in them anyway because you want to hear. And, uh, and, and we've heard these things all along, but uh, it's especially been valuable to us in our first, uh, our first five years of marriage, things we wanted to share with you. The bottom line is this, that when we make Christ the center of our home, and when we make our first desire to be like him, then we are prepared not just to be a witness to other people because we're a holy family and because other people see a reflection of Christ in our spirituality, but then we are prepared to impact the world around because of the fact that who we are has been fully a reflection of who Christ is. You think about the life of Moses in closing. He was a part of a basic social unit, the family unit. His mom and his dad wanted to teach him basic principles of Christ-likeness. And so they said, Moses, because God is our eternal excellency, you need to strive for excellence. Because God is a God of morality, you need to strive to be moral. Because God is a God of, of, of love, you need to strive to be loving. And these principles, these Adventist principles, these principles that Moses was given, helped him and set him up not just to impact one nation, but to impact two nations the nation of Egypt, the nation of Israel. In our basic family units, we don't know how many Moses there are. But God can do something if we first take care of our home business, which is making sure that this right here, this right here is a reflection of Christ. So it's our prayer that all of us would grow toward that end. In closing, we'll have a word of prayer. And then after that, if there's any questions, uh, we can have a little bit of a question and answer uh, session. Okay, why don't we pray? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the gift of Jesus. We're thankful for all that he is and all that he wants to mean to us. We pray that as husbands and as wives, you would teach us what it means to be like him more and more. We're thankful, Lord, for our spouses and for our future spouses, people that you've given to us to marry, not just so that we can find happiness in all the privileges that marriage has, but more so so that we can find salvation through a person that you've set up, that you've personally worked in, to make a help meet exactly for us. Lord, prepare us, prepare us for your soon return. 
by helping us to be Christians where it matters most, Christians in the home, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.